Welcome to the Sisters on the Front Lines podcast, where we unite with Christ to combat the shame surrounding young women struggling with pornography and share our stories and insights to gather more tools and weapons to fortify our stance on the front lines in the war against pornography. All right, welcome to this next episode of the Sisters on the Front Lines podcast. Um, I'm super excited for my guest here today. Her name is Dr. Shalom Lovett. Um, she teaches at BYU and she studies sex and what contributes to strong, healthy relationships. Her research focuses on mindfulness and sex and how slowing down can actually benefit both partners. So I am super excited to have Dr. Levitt here. I like to have my guests introduce themselves in like the non-professional sense. Like tell me about your family and your hobbies and everything. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. My name's Shalom. I grew up in Washington State, kind of in on a farm, really, and in the middle of orchards. My grandparents had some orchards. And so I feel like my growing up was pretty slow paced and there were some lakes right behind our house. And I remember lots of days just walking down by the lakes, kind of pondering my life. And I have to say that I have been really blessed in my life that I have had the privilege of being a mother to nine amazing children, and they are some of my very best friends. So I'm married to David Levitt, and we've been married for 34 years now, Mm -hmm. and we've really been blessed to have these children in our lives. We're both lawyers as well. I am also a PhD, and so we've shared a lot of fun adventures together as a family, as a couple, and... I have to say, I'm living a lot of my dreams, so I feel pretty pretty happy with what I get to do, with what I get to experience. Wow. Oh, that's amazing. Nine kids. That is a lot of kids. <laughs> that's a lot of kids. And we now have seven grandkids. Seven so grandkids. pretty fun, too. Oh, my gosh. You do not look old enough to be a grandma. That's oh nice. My gosh. <laughs> I am. I am. I feel it. <laughs> Good. Yeah. Wear that title with pride. That's awesome. Yeah. Seven ki- or nine kids, seven yeah. grandkids. Oh, how fun for you. That's awesome. Thanks. Well, I'm super excited to just kind of dive in and pick your brain on, on some of these questions that we have. I guess we'll just get started. Very first question, how does mindfulness tie into solving unwanted pornography use? Yeah, I really like this connection. Mindfulness, first of all, let me just say what mindfulness is. It's not necessarily sitting on your butt, being quiet, trying to eliminate every thought from your mind. Mindfulness is just a quality of being with this present moment. I can be practicing mindfulness. Hopefully I am practicing mindfulness right here as you and I are talking, right? So what mindfulness is, generally the definition in research is it's a quality of awareness in the present moment with the added component of being non-judgmental. Right. So it's really two things that we focus on awareness of the present moment and being non judgmental. Okay. So, how I think that this really connects 
to eliminating unwanted pornography use in your life is that you are being more intentional. I'm paying attention to what my mind, body, and spirit are experiencing at the moment, not not living in a fantasy land, not telling myself stories, and not beating myself up, right? So I'm staying present in this moment, accepting things how they are, and being curious why I might be experiencing things as they are, and then making some adjustments that are intentional, right? That that do show that do reflect more what I actually want to invite into my life. So I think people who are using pornography and and realize that it may be damaging their life can actually face that reality if they're being mindful, right? We can face that reality, not beat ourselves up over it, but just start being more intentional about how I approach. Am I feeling anxiety? Is that what drives me towards looking at pornography? Am I feeling inadequate? You know, what are some of the things that I'm experiencing? And then how do I make adjustments in my life to weed that out? Mm, I love that. I love it. And I think sometimes we hear mindfulness and we're just like, okay, that means take 15 minutes out of your day and meditate, right? (laughs) And I love that definition of the quality of awareness in the present moment, as well as that factor of being non-judgmental. I think that's huge. And like, as I've just like a funny little story, I got like super into meditating a while ago. And I remember at the very beginning, I... You, you kind of have to like have something that you're like focusing on, right? Like something yeah. that's grounding you back, whether it be like your breathing or just a certain thought. And I remember my mind would just like get distracted by that. And then I'd be starting like thinking of, oh, what am I going to eat in two hours or whatever, you know? Right. And like, <laughs> and it just go away from that. But I think mindfulness is that skill that we develop. Like, what do we do? after that like instead of instead of just beating myself up for being like oh shoot like I started thinking about something bad like never again right rather than doing that just being like oh okay like why was I thinking about that like and and getting curious about it I love it curious I love that yeah Mm -hmm. and in fact something came to my mind I really love to use mantras in part of my meditation practice Hmm. and one mantra that has been really important to me lately is just this idea, as I breathe, I just repeat this, I am enough, Hmm. right? And just breathe, I am enough. And as I go through that, you know, if you, truthfully, meditating for about 10 minutes a day is super helpful. Totally. So if if you can fit that in your life, do it. If you can't, do what you can. Fit it in wherever you're able to. Don't beat yourself up over it. But If we could sit for 10 minutes a day and just say, I am enough, I think so many things would change in our life. I think we would stop having so much anxiety, so much discouragement, just beating ourselves up over little things that are understandable, why we're struggling with it. And I think the more we accept ourselves, the easier it is for us to make adjustments that we need to. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. 
And mindfulness is absolutely a skill, right? And it's yes. it's not just developed right then, it's developed over time. Yes. What would you say is a good starting point for someone who is struggling with pornography use, who wants to develop this skill of mindfulness and I guess as an ultimate goal, kind of overcome their pornography use? What would you say is a good starting point for them? I would say their starting point is the same as anyone else's. Just begin to meditate. Notice what's happening in your mind, in your body. What's so interesting, I, I love this. There's, It's been attributed to Michelangelo. I think it's been attributed maybe to lots of people. But someone said, how do you start to carve an elephant? And he says, oh, that's easy. I take a block of marble and I take away anything that is not the elephant. And I think that that's true in our own lives for everybody. If I want to live a more mindful life, then just start taking away the things in your life that aren't mindful. Hmm. And what's interesting is I think it would be a lot more than just maybe your pornography use. It would be maybe our overeating and our temper and, you know, a whole bunch of other things that will just fall away with an with an increased focus on being accepting and curious and non-judgmental. Hmm. I love that. I love that. Beautiful. While I was like reading through some of your materi- material, I looked at one of the posts on your site and it talked about how hope can actually sometimes be destructive, which might be kind of a weird idea for some people. Yeah. But how can hope be destructive when trying to solve unwanted pornography use? Yeah, well, this is a really important point, And I think particularly for women, particularly for women in the LDS culture, we are really trying to be good and follow Christ and, you know, create these virtues in our life. And so Hope is one that we just feel like if I'm if I hope, then I'm on the right track. Well, and yet we know, and and, and I really like this this little catchphrase that I think it was Dr. Doyle, Brian Doyle, who who termed this hopium, right? It almost becomes an addiction to us to to hope that this bad behavior is gonna change and we'll have a brighter future. And, and it is good to hope, but not when there's not evidence of the change, right? Mm-hmm. That's when it starts becoming a destructive type of hope. It becomes like a drug where we think if we can just hope more and maybe just twist what reality is in our head so that we can hold on to that hope, that is not helpful. Mm-hmm. What's helpful is saying, is this, is, is either my behavior or my partner's behavior worthy of hope. We talk about hope in Christ, and of course, that's always a, a good thing to develop. But that's because Christ is perfect and all-powerful you know, all powerful and all-knowing. I am not. Neither is my partner. And so putting hope in those sorts of things sometimes can be destructive. We have to have evidence that there is going to be a change, that this is something that I should be hoping I was just talking this this last week with one of my favorite meditation guides, Thomas McConkie, and we were talking about this very thing about hope. And hope is really good, like like we just said, when it is placed in something 
that uh, is worthy of hope. And I think what hope indicates is that change can take place. Hope indicates change can take place. And that's what mindfulness helps us do, is understand the impermanence of everything, right? Nothing is going to stay the same. My, my circumstances in my life, my health, my, my struggles, all of those are going to change. And in a way, if we focus on the positive change, on we, if we focus on behavior that is going to take us towards positive change, then we can have some hope in that, right? That's where hope and mindfulness kind of connect, is that if we stick to a meditation routine, we start seeing how we're letting go of destructive things in our life. We can start to understand how hope may play a part of that, but only if we're grounding it in things that really are secure and showing the positive change that needs to occur. Hmm. Wow. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. Grounding it in the in the things that are secure. And I love that you said hope in Christ. That's a good thing. That is that is secure. Always a good thing. Yeah. Oh, that's wonderful. How does that exactly, I guess, the hopium, how you touched a little bit on that in a partnered relationship. How would that be destructive specifically in a partnered relationship? A lot of times we want to ignore bad behavior. Mm. Uh, Our partner is doing something destructive or is maybe not telling the truth or, you know, all sorts of things is being abusive. And uh, maybe even this, this normal pattern occurs in abusive relationships where the, the abused partner will finally stand up and say, enough, I can't take this anymore. You've got to stop. And the abuser will say, oh, okay, I'm so sorry. I'll do better. I, I think you just triggered me when you said or did, you know, fill in the blank. And so there's a little bit of blame there, but it, it appears like they're going to change right? They're, oh, I'm sorry. Yes, I'll be better. And then maybe they do change for a little while, but then it comes back. And we see this pattern just playing over and over again. So at some point we have to say, this person isn't worthy of my hope. I am maybe lying to myself saying that, okay, he will change. He will stop fill in the blank, right? He'll stop emotionally abusing or physically abusing or sexually abusing or harming our relationship in whatever way it's occurring. Uh, At some point, you have to stand up and say, this is a pattern and I need to stop it. And if I don't, then I'm lying to myself. Mm -hmm. I'm engaging in destructive behavior that isn't filled with integrity. And I need to stand up and be the person I want to be. And so I think that a lot of times we see this and I'm giving kind of this typical pattern where, right, it's the man who's abusing. It could be the woman, right? Mm-hmm. But in, in a lot of patterns, we see the man is doing something that's a little oppressive or abusive or whatever. And the woman is telling herself, well, I'm being forgiving. I'm being gracious. Mm-hmm. I'm being long suffering. You know, we, we want to attribute all these good qualities to it, but in reality, we're lying to ourselves, right? Mm -hmm. This is destructive behavior. 
I need to stand up and insist that things change permanently, that we get help, that we stop making excuses, or we need to just end the relationship, right? Mm -hmm. And sometimes that is the solution. And it's really devastating, but that too is a positive way to move forward in Christ. And so we need to be truthful with ourselves and stop taking this little drug of hopium and lying to ourselves saying, oh, this will get better. Or if I'm more patient, or if I learn to you know, not push his buttons, that somehow I will change things. Right. Yeah, totally. That The kind of codependency that comes with that. Absolutely. And I remember like, like when I personally was like struggling with pornography use and, and there would always be those times and it's like, okay, that was the last time. Like that's the last time I'm not ever doing it again. And it was just like willpowering it out. Right. And it wasn't until I got to the point where I was like, okay, I will literally do anything to like get this. And, and that's, there's a difference between that and willpower because willpower is like, nope, I've got this. It's all in my hands. I'm going to power through it. And then being willing to just do anything like that meant I went and talked to a leader that went meant I went and talked to a ton of different people. And so there's a yeah. difference between that and and there are like real resources out there. And so there's no need to feel like you have to do it all on your own. And it's actually it, that's what leads to the, the destructive behaviors, feeling like you have to do it all on your own because it gets a lot easier once you're there with other people. But yeah. And what I hear you describing is instead of instead of thinking, well, if I work harder, mm-hmm. if I'm more determined, you know, like you're saying, those are all me. I'm I'm relying kind of on like this transaction. If I put in more effort, I will get the goal that I'm hoping for. Mm-hmm. When instead, I think we have to realize, and I think mindfulness helps us realize this, is that in a lot of ways, we have to be transformed. And that's what takes us to the next level. Mm-hmm. We kind of let go of thinking it's all up to us and start recognizing we have to reach out for help from leaders, from a therapist, from you know whoever, friends, support group, the savior. You know, there's yeah. all sorts of ways. And if we if we don't start approaching it in this this quality of understanding it's more than me it's bigger than me yeah we keep falling back into the same pattern totally yeah and I think the transformation really happened when I started looking at things and focusing on what can I control and what can I not control and actually understanding that there was much more in the realm of what I can control than I thought there was because what I thought that I could control was like what you said, like the determination, the, if I just used more willpower, worked harder, right? But what's also in my control is who do I tell about this? Who do I talk to? And it just, and and who do I allow to see this part of me? And how do I get help? Like, there's just so much more that's in our control than we think that there is. And so much to take advantage of. Yeah. And I just want to, I want to point out that mindfulness encourages us to be accepting. Yeah. And sometimes that means accepting how bad it really is. Mm-hmm. Accepting that I'm really in the pit of whatever, right? And 
a lot of times that's what we're trying to avoid. We don't want to admit to ourselves that we really are that far down the hole. And when we can say, you know what, actually I am. And I can still recognize that I'm a person of value and that people love me still. That's where we start to get a foothold and we're willing to reach out and not feel the shame, right? The shame is what drives us under, yep. but it's the accepting and seeing things for what they really are. Christ still loves you, probably your family, your maybe your partner, you know, whatever, who therapists can help you, uh, leaders can help you. That's where we start to get a foothold and recognize there is a way out. And yes, I'm going to have to work hard and I'm going to take responsibility. I'm going to face myself and do the work, but I I have to let go of some of these things that are actually driving me down further into the shame and despair. Right. Yeah. A hundred percent. I agree. Like, and as far as like the atonement goes, like Christ is, we have agency, right? And Christ is not going to heal the wounds that we choose not to acknowledge and, and fully see. Right. And so, and that's such a beautiful process. It really is. It's just accepting, oh my gosh, like I am am broken and come to him with a broken heart and a contrite spirit. Like that is literally the gospel and the atonement. And it's just one of the most beautiful processes that can ever take place. I think it's so interesting that that word broken, I love that word broken because it means a couple of different things. And both of them are really important in our process. Broken means, you know, I could be shattered. I could be fragmented. I could be wounded in a way that I'm not functional, right? And and so sometimes that is what we're experiencing and we can take that to the Savior. But then when the Savior is talking about having a broken heart, he's yeah. talking about it being tamed, it being skillful, right? I've now, I've, I've gone through this process of feeling despair and shame or whatever. I've turned it over to the Lord and he's healed me. And now I trust him in a way that my relationship with him gives me power and I'm more skillful in how I approach my life from here on out. We all have to go through both both ideas of this brokenness, hopefully, right? That we're broken in that we realize we can't do it ourselves. We're, we're maybe even shattered. I've been there in, in places in my life where I just felt like what's left to even pick up? You know, there's nothing left. And the Savior shows me there is something. And then through that experience, my heart becomes tamed. You know, I'm, it's not wild. It's useful now because I understand the power that I do have in my life with his help, right? With the power of the atonement. Yeah. Oh, beautiful. I love it. Okay. Just to, I guess this is kind of shifting gears a little bit, yeah. but how, how do you think that pornography distorts the view of what real healthy sex should be, being someone who is super involved in research of sex? Yeah, that's such a great question. I, I guess I would say, how doesn't it? I right. mean, there's, there's very little that pornography offers that's real. And I would say, I mean, one of my biggest drums that I beat is to overcome 
some of the this misinformation that we've been given or our pornography use or whatever it is, right? Because even people who haven't been digesting pornography regularly still have bought into some really unhealthy attitudes. So how do I get rid of that? The way I get rid of it and, and start to overcome those sorts of attitudes is by learning what sex is, what healthy sex is. Mm-hmm. I have to learn how beautiful sex is and how powerful and meaningful and how connective and emotionally nourishing sex is for me to then be able to say, ooh, when I see pornography, it's nothing like what this beautiful image that I now understand sex is, right? That sex is connective and joining and strengthening and it it. it Uh, It empowers us to create this strong, loving relationship with another person. It's so powerful and, and godly. And yet when we distort it, it becomes destructive and harmful. And I think once somebody learns, someone catches the vision of what meaningful, powerful, healthy sex is, it's easier to kind of shun this counterfeit that really just diminishes my soul and my capacity to truthfully connect with another person, you know, the flesh and blood of a person, not an image. And so I, I, I would say that's the first thing that you should do in trying to overcome unwanted pornography use is learn what healthy, beautiful sex really is. Mm -hmm. And then when you see the two right next to each other, it'll be like, this one, I just, I don't want to have any part of. This one, I want to nurture. I want to move toward creating that in my life. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And my next question was going to be, how do we rewrite those scripts that porn has written on our minds? And I think you kind of answered it, but do you have anything to add, I guess, on, on that? Yeah, I would say that you just have to pretty consistently turn back toward what is healthy, hmm. what is meaningful, what is creating a connection. You know, sex is intended to create deeper intimacy with another person. And and sex is intended to be other focused, right? I'm giving my body to my husband. He's giving his body to me. And we're sharing that that union of our mind, our emotions, and our bodies in this really really kind of sacred way. You know, that it's, it's elevated. And in fact, and I'm, I'm not saying that in a religious context. Actually, researchers have been noting the, the sacredness of sex. And there's a researcher, not of our faith, who actually has created a measure called sexual sanctification, and there's another researcher in Canada. Her name is Peggy Kleinplatz. And she talks about the transcendence of sex. Hmm. So when we're using sex in this way to connect emotionally and even spiritually, I think what we're seeing in research is that people are experiencing this type of transcendence. 
where we feel like we're connected at a far deeper level than any of these one specific, you know, physical, emotional, but it's something that is bringing our our souls together. And I, I don't think that happens every time in sex. From my research, that's certainly not what people report. But occasionally, if you're kind of moving toward that, right, if you're creating an atmosphere that is loving and kind and other focused, mm. it happens occasionally. And people report that it's pretty powerful in deepening their relationship overall and creating this strong, sturdy connection both in the, in the overall relationship, but also in the sexual relationship. So it's pretty powerful. And I think yeah. that the more we learn about that, the more we learn about how can sex be meaningful and healthy, I think the easier it is for us to weed out those destructive attitudes and images that have crept in through pornography or any other source. Totally. Totally. And my follow-up question to that, kind of appealing to, I guess, a younger audience, including myself, because I'm not married, like I haven't had sex, right? But I fully agree that pornography is harmful in that image of what healthy sexuality should be. But with you saying that, okay, in order to rewrite those scripts that pornography has written on our minds, we have to understand what healthy sex is. For those people who are unmarried or who are not sexually active, how do you how do you approach that? Great question. And you can actually do so much long before you're married. And in fact, I think that's the ideal way to do it is start really developing healthy attitudes towards sex long before you're going to engage in a healthy sexual relationship. And I would say, first of all, find some good sources. My website is a good source. We, a few professors at BYU have written a book called Sexual Wholeness in Marriage. And although it says in marriage, it's something you could certainly study long before you are married so that you're kind of celebrating your own body, your own sexuality. You are a sexual being from the moment you're born. And, and so we need to start appreciating this beautiful gift we've been given and you know, certainly we want to learn to discipline it. We, we want to be masterful in how we are thinking and behaving in our sexuality. But that, and that starts long before we start expressing our, our sexual nature. Mm. So I would say start learning about it through safe, reliable, good sources that are based in research and, and hopefully blended with the gospel that are in line with the gospel. That's the ideal way. You could take you could take my class, right? Healthy sexuality and marriage. We spend a semester digesting the details of what healthy sex is. And it's a pretty it's a pretty powerful class in most people's experience. Yeah. And I feel like it's it's a honor for me each semester to go through this process with students. And have them kind of have their minds just expanded in how they think about sexuality in this positive, healthy, meaningful, emotional way. And, and then see how it impacts their life as they move forward. Seriously. Oh, it really is wonderful. And I've heard amazing things about that class. And, and totally, like, what an honor to be able to teach about, like, 
God's greatest gift, like to yeah. us on the earth of the power of creation. Like that's beautiful. And it is really, it is very meaningful. Yeah. I, I often feel the spirit in our class because we are talking about sacred things. Yeah. And I think it's important for us to understand that those two blend together seamlessly. I think so often we want to separate, you know, the spiritual from the sexual and yeah. it's, it just doesn't have to be right. Yeah. Oh, amen. Okay. I want to dive into the last two questions. First off, what keeps you on the front lines in the war against pornography? What keeps me on the front lines is that I have seen the discouragement and the woundedness of people who have been affected by this, and I know there is a way out. I know there are tools that will help them climb out of whatever hole they're in and get to a place where the light of love and kindness shines on them again. And so that's that's what helps me stick with it is I have seen that process occur over and over and I have every confidence that people just need to have a little bit of help and a little bit of tools and they can make huge changes in their life. Yeah. Oh, amen. And it's closer and it's more achievable than we think. Absolutely. With the right tools. Yes. I love that you said that. Okay, last question. What would you say to a young girl who is struggling with pornography right now? Hmm. That's a great question. First of all, I would just want her to know that she is valuable and that she matters and that this one small part of what she's struggling with does not have to define her. None of us should be defined by our worst moment or our worst habit or whatever. There is a way out and it it will take work, right? It will be hard. But whether it's pornography or some other thing that you struggle with, the Savior wants to help and people want to help. We are filled with So many people, you, your podcast, my research, so many other people, leaders, friends, hopefully family, they can help provide the encouragement for us to do it. It is no substitute for the effort that we are going to have to put in, but you are valuable. There is a beautiful life after this and just come along. That's what I would say. Come and start the journey, start the process. Mm. Beautiful. I love it. And we're all just, they're just learning and they're growing. And you're right. It's just this one small thing. You're still valuable. And there's so much potential for you to change. Absolutely. I love it. Well, thank you so much for coming on, Shalom. It was amazing. So many wonderful insights gained from you. Well, thanks for the work you're doing, Maddie. This This is a powerful medium to help people understand they are not alone. Thanks. I hope so. (laughs) And listeners, thank you so much for listening. Oh, before I go into the outro, I just also wanted to mention, I asked Dr. Levitt a question about how do we 
approach things like from a single point of view, like healthy sexuality when you're single. And I loved her answer. If you are looking for more information on that, we did an episode with Tammy Hill. I think it's episode 12 or 13. So if you want more expanded on that, go ahead and listen to that episode. I'll link it in the show notes as well as um, Dr. Levitt's website and the book that you mentioned um, that you wrote with a couple of professors at BYU, as well as anything else that I might have missed that we mentioned. But yeah, thank you so much, listeners, for listening. If you have a story to share, please reach out to me on Instagram at Sisters on the Front Lines or via email at Sisters on the Front Lines at gmail.com. Please remember you are not alone. You are valuable, you are loved, and resources are closer than you would think. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it and give the podcast a rating on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify so we can reach more young women, parents, and leaders. And until next episode, keep up the good fight on the front lines.